the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan from Grace Bible Church in Hayward. We're continuing our look at Esther. We're again in chapter 9, verses 1 through 22, in a message called, In Honor of a Just War, God is Our Defense. You know, so often we look for peace. We long for peace. There are many who have ideas as to how to attain peace here on earth. But at the end of the day, the Bible tells us that peace won't truly come till the end of the age. In the meantime, there is just and unjust. There is righteous and unrighteous. And there are wars, just wars. And in those cases, God is our defense. The example of this, again, can be found in Esther chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Catch up with us there for today's broadcast of Way of Grace. I want to share with you the whole idea of honor in relationship to the scriptures as each book of the Bible really contains the whole of the Bible in it. That at certain vantage points in each, of, each book of the Bible, it is actually talking about honor. It is talking about how we walk with God in a way that fulfills Proverbs fifteen thirty three right? Before honor, there is what? Humility is what God calls us to. And as our elder talked about wanting to be like Mordecai, the only way that that's going to happen, and for you ladies, Esther, is if we adopt, embrace, and accept humility as a way of life. As we accept the idea of humility being part of our journey, part of our developmental process, part of our sanctification, then we're going to embrace trouble as the soil in the which the seed of faith is planted so that the fruits of righteousness are a just product of our trusting God as we die with Christ. For except the seed go into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it will do what? This is Christian doctrine when it comes to God's blessings in our life, when it comes to God's goodness in our life, when it comes to God's expansion in our life, when it comes to God enlarging our life. It only occurs after we have submitted to humility. This here is your radical Christ-centered paradigm. For he who was exalted from all eternity humbled himself and took on a human nature, didn't he? And so what we learn is if God is going to exalt us, he must first what? Humble us. Now remember, humility is not humiliation. So never confound the two words. God never humiliates his people, but he will always humble them before he exalts them. I'm going to share with you where we are in our text as I lay a foundation for about four of the points out of the five today because 
what I have seen in this portion of Scripture is just absolutely magnificent relative to where we are as, as the people of God. And that is, I have discovered not, not only just from the Bible, but in life in general, for the Bible should be a lens through which we are able to observe the world and see what God is doing, right? Here's what I have observed, child of God. I have observed that if you watch a man or a woman or a family or a nation or even a tribe, if you observe them carefully and you recognize that they have uh, come to acquire or walk in or enjoy the prosperity of, of, of wealth and resources and abundance, if you, if you meet somebody that you see who is in fact walking in their fullness, it was first a consequence of a lot of labor. It was the result of a lot of hard work. It was the manifestation of their persevering through trouble and difficulty and anguish and discipline. Yes, I mean even the practical uh, economic benefits of an education, uh, the perseverance of the discipline of acquiring skill sets and then reaching those levels of success by which now they can accrue the benefits of their labor, that took hard work. Don't ever assume you meet somebody who has something that they did not have to ultimately fight for it. Because work is fighting, and fighting is working to either obtain or maintain. Right, and so here's a principle I'm going to lay down as we enter into our text today. There was a time when all of us, you, me, everybody in the world, which was really reduced to just two people, there was a time when God had given all of us what I am calling, listen now, possessive grace. The grace to possess all that God had for us. Adam and Eve had possessing grace. Write it down, possessing grace. That is the unmerited favor and blessing of God given to them freely apart from anything that they had to do for it. Would you agree with that? Would you agree that the garden was a, full, a place full of blessing, full of the symbols and overtures of God's grace in their life for Adam and Eve didn't earn it? It was given to them. When they woke up to the reality of who they are, who they were, they were already possessing grace. But do you know, since the fall, all God gives us now is obtaining grace. Obtaining grace. Do you notice how that from the fall of Adam and Eve, you and I now have to work by the sweat of our bra in order to acquire what used to be ours? This is what I am calling obtaining grace. Do you know how God works with his covenant people to take them to a place and give them what he promises them, but they have to get there? They have to labor to get there. And in the context of the nation of Israel, they had to fight in order to obtain the land that was theirs. And once they obtained it, they had to fight to possess it. Haven't you discovered that that's the way it is in life? That even after you have obtained, after a serious battle on many cases, in many, in many situations, here you have an opportunity to possess something. Isn't it a labor possessing it? You don't just walk right into it. You don't just get it. You don't just claim it. You don't just take it. You have to fight for it. Sometimes you're knocking, knocking, knocking. Sometimes you're seeking, seeking, seeking. 
Sometimes you're asking, asking, asking. All the time you're waiting, 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 and all the time you're fighting, fighting, fighting. And even after you have acquired it, you have to fight to keep it. That's where we are in our text. If you know anything about God's covenant faithfulness to Israel, what they are fighting for is to return back to that which God had given them. So when you and I have to know that when God blesses us, advances us, enlarges us, moves us into positions of possessing, you still have to fight for what you possess. You got to fight for your marriage. You got to fight for your children. You got to fight for your job. You got to fight for your sanity. You got to fight. Who told you just because you have it, you don't have to fight to keep it? What we're dealing with is the good fight of what? Faith. It's the gospel fight. I want you to see that as we work through our text, because I don't want you to miss the historical battle of a political conflict between the enemies of the Jews and the Jews and not realize that by application, the battle is yours too. The battle is mine as well, and it's always a gospel battle because it's really about the glory of God, is it not? This fight that the Israelites are engaged in presently is really not about the Jews. It's about God's glory, would you say? Hence my title, In Honor of a Just War. Do you see it? In Honor of a Just War. Subtitle what? God is our defense. I'm going to break this message up into two parts today and next week, but I really want you to take the title of our message seriously. There are just wars, and there are unjust wars. Can I say this, child of God? The battle that the believer fights is always a just war. The battle that the child of God is engaged in is always a just war. When you go, God, why do you have me fighting? Because he's having you fight a just war, a just battle, a battle that really is designed to glorify God and actually designed for your eternal good. That's why you are fighting. And it is certainly a just war as our text is going to work us through on this passage. You recall the children of Israel were minding their own business in the land of Persia. They were working hard. They were producing goods. They were being family people, as God told them in Jeremiah 24, to go into the land, work hard, plant your vineyards, do your business, and I will be with you and I will bless you. Now, all of a sudden, an enemy rises up to create havoc in their life. Now, y'all heard me say it before, right? What a difference a day makes. You know how you wake up one day and there's trouble at your doorstep. Now, you can immediately begin to ask the question, did I bring it? Did the devil just come without knocking on God? Did God bring this? This is the way you frame your prayers, isn't that right? Because sometimes we will assume that we brought it on ourselves. It may be true. Notwithstanding, all trials, all troubles, all difficulties ultimately come from God. Notwithstanding, all trials, all difficulties, all troubles ultimately come from God because you and I need to know we're not in glory yet. Isn't that what I said before? So as long as you have not put both feet into Beulah land, you got to fight. The enemy's going to always try to snatch you and take you backwards. Take control of the, your life and take every possession you have. Now hurry up, child of God, and wake up to this reality that you and I daily have to depend upon God to advance us in his cause. Wake up to that reality because that's what's going on. So the children of Israel woke up one day, as we learned in chapter 3, and they were what? Perplexed because a decree had went out to wipe everybody out. 
They went, what is this? Okay, after you come to discover that there is a law of sin unto death, what do you do? Do you bellyache? Do you whine and cry? Do you go, woe is me? Or do you fight the good fight of faith and lay hold of eternal life, trusting that God will bring another law to overturn this previous law? Are you hearing what I'm saying? We learned it in the Psalms. You have ordained life. You have commanded that I be saved. How is it that I'm under threat of damnation, under threat of annihilation? How is it that I'm under threat of being utterly destroyed by my enemies? Now you are in the Twix again, aren't you? You know what that Twix is? A Twix of faith in what God said versus what you're going through. See, God told them that they would return to the land after 70 years. Didn't he say that? Now, can God lie? Can God change? Can God fail? So then when the circumstances outwardly look really, really bad, and yet God says, I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts of good and an expected end, and since he can't lie, change, or fail, what am I looking at? A lie. But if my identity is not rooted in God, and if I am not deeply committed to biblical truth, where all the promises of God are yes and amen through Jesus Christ by us to the glory of God, I'm liable to believe that lie. Now, what am I going to do? Believe the lie and lay down and let the enemy take me? Or am I going to do what the Word of God tells me to do? And that is fight. I'm going to fight. Because if I don't fight, I don't believe God. Some of y'all hearing me? Raise your hand if you're hearing me. If I don't fight, I don't believe God. Because God has called me to the fight. In fact, Israel was God's army, was it not? This is exactly how God told Pharaoh through Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my army go. This is my army, a bunch of hodgepodge group of mixed nuts and fruits and crazy people is God's army. See, now you can be part of God's army because you ain't nothing but a bunch of nuts and fruits and crazy people. And yet that's what God uses to confound the mighty. Bring down the haughty and the lofty because we only overcome by faith and not by works. We only come overcome by trusting God and not leaning to our own understanding. And the battle that you're about to see in chapter 9 has a series of amazing principles that I hope you get. First principle is this, judge not, lest you be judged. Now we're not going to spend a whole lot of time working that through because most Christians get that text wrong. If you make an assessment on that verse, guess what you're doing? Judging. And if you're saying don't judge anything at any time for no reason, you're a hypocrite, especially when you make an assessment on that text. If you look at that text and use it as a sort of shield to tell other people don't judge you, guess what you're doing? Judging them for judging you. That's not what that means. What that text means is this. Whatever assessment you make, be ready to take the same assessment. Whatever assessment you make, be ready to take the same assessment. If you want to bury somebody 12 feet in the ground because you don't like them, be ready to take that same assessment. If you want to make somebody look bad in the eyes of your friends, be ready for it to happen to you. If you want to just diminish them in every way just because you've got this crazy narcissistic desire and passion to wipe them out, be ready. Be ready to suffer the same measure. Is that not what our Lord says? Whatever measure you meet, it's going to be measured to you. 
Whatever careless, merciless judgment you apply to men and your arrogance and assumption that somehow you are a clean escape of any assessment or judgment is coming back on you. That's just the nature of judgment. This is why the saints need to be very careful of judging. That's what Jesus meant when he said in the Gospel of John 7, judge righteous judgment. Make sure your judgment is right enough to be right with God so that when the boomerang comes back, you can handle it. Because the boomerang's coming back. I don't care who you are, it's coming back. Now, Haman's dead, but he'd rise from the dead and let you know Pastor Jesse telling you the truth. Because our text is laying out that principle. You remember what happened in chapter 3. Haman did not like the fact that Mordecai would not lie down, would not submit to him, would not bow to him as a god. And, and he thought scorn to just fight with Mordecai in the octagon, in the ring, which I would have loved to watch. I would have just loved to watch those two generals in the ring throwing down. And I've told you this before, we can stop a lot of wars in the world if you just let the presidents of every country just get in the octagon. I'll pay for that ticket. I'll pay for that ticket. Y'all fight it out. Don't use us as collateral damage over stupidity that you're engaged in. I'll buy some popcorn, and I'll buy some soda pop, and I'll sit in the front aisle and watch Donald Trump go against Tim Jim Young. (laughs) And here's my point. Here's my fundamental point. The way our text opens up in in, um, Ezra 3 is two princes ready to bring to suffering in a collateral damage way all the people that are under them. This is the battle of the galactic cosmic war between Christ and the enemy. Remember David and Goliath? All or nothing. That's what we're dealing with in the book of Esther. Are you guys hearing me? And so for us, we are so thankful that as true children of God, we have by providence been sided with Brother Mordecai. Is that so? All right, let's work through a few things principally. I'm talking to you about war. Subpoint, I want you to see this. I thought this was absolutely amazing. A remarkable unity observed. Will you look at verse 1 and 2? Here it is now. In the ninth month, that is in the month Adar, on the 13th day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to put in execution the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Though it was turned to the contrary that the Jews had ruled over them that hated them. Look at verse 2, part A. The Jews gathered themselves together. Principle to be drawn up from this. When war occurs, either you're going to be divided or you're going to be united. When war is waged, either the people are going to discover that they love each other enough to band together as one, or that propagation and that propaganda of war is going to divide you. By the way, that is one of the tactics of the enemy. You know what he loves to do? He loves to give you the rumor of war before the war, because he knows that the rumor of war will divide the superficial brethren. It will divide the superficial people of God. It will scatter men and scatter women to different corners and quarters. Am I making some sense? And you really only know your friends in a context of war. You really only know people that are for you or against you when the heat is on. You really come to discover whether they honor you or are willing to lay down their lives with you. I call them ride or die brothers, a ride or die sister, a ride or die wife, a ride or die husband. Christ is a ride or die savior. 
He's a ride or die Savior. When he heard about the war against your soul from eternity past, he said, I'm riding with him. I'm riding with him. I'm riding with them. Or you will be divided. What's really interesting here is because we do understand that our sovereign God works many things out at the same time, maybe under one overarching objective. God knows how to bring his people together. Do you know trouble will bring God's people together? His real people together. Trouble will not scatter God's people. Trouble will bring God's people together. And you see this running as a principle through the scripture. I'm just going to show you two or three verses along these lines. There is a term in the Old Testament called as one man. As one man. And you see this happening four specific times in the Old Testament where when trouble comes, the people gather together as one man. The first verse I want you to see is Ezra chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Ezra is contemporary with Esther and Mordecai. Y'all know that. He's contemporary. In fact, I shared with you how that the baton of God's prophetic purpose started to bring Israel back into the land in 517 B.C. under Daniel. Remember we told you that Daniel started praying because he had a revelation. That when Daniel finished praying, guess who took up the prayer? Ezra did. Ezra took up the praying for the people of God because you and I are not going to get God on our side when we have messed up until we first pray. Will you notice what it says? And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities and the people what? Gathered themselves together as one man to wear. Ladies and gentlemen, take a snapshot of that. Do you see that? That's the end game. That verse is the end game. That's the end game. Do you see it? That's the end game. That's where we're going. That's what's going to happen in the last day. At the last day, when the trump sounds and the archangel yields his voice, all of God's people will gather together in the new Jerusalem. That's the end game. I'm giving it to you before I preach. That's the end game, the gathering of God's elect. The gathering of God's people from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. The gathering into the kingdom of God to be there forever. Are y'all following me? Now, chapter 10, chapter 10 tells us something specific around this in chapter 10, verse 1. Ezra chapter 10, verse 1. Now, watch this. Now, when Ezra had what? And when he had what? Weeping and casting himself down before the what? Now, where's the house of God? In Jerusalem. So the people have gathered together in Jerusalem, and Ezra the priest is now speaking to the people as to what they should be doing now we have, that we, we have gathered. What are they called to do? Weep and cry and confess. You know what we call that? Are you ready? Worship. 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 See, if I were to go back to chapter 3 and, and, and follow the verses in 2, 3, and 4 of chapter 3, you would discover that there they laid the foundation stone. And that foundation stone became the premise or the grounds by which they could stand before God and pray. Who is the foundation stone? Christ! And so we see from chapter 3 to chapter 11 that they are chapter 10. They're gathering together before God as one man. And in worship, what are they doing? Crying out and weeping and confessing their sins. I say unto you that no sin will be forgiven of you unless you and I learn to confess our sins. He is just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us only when we acknowledge that we are sinners. Only when we acknowledge that we have sinned against him. The only way you can come to God is through the son who is our great high priest, but he's calling sinners who will acknowledge their rebellion and disobedience. Ladies and gentlemen, the only reason we're far from God is one reason. 
sin. So what does God gather his people to do? He gathers his people to worship him. And the right entry into worship starts with confession of sin. Studying God's word that we might show ourselves approved, that we might come to a deeper love and understanding of God's amazing love for us in Jesus Christ. This has been Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We are always delighted and grateful that you take a few moments to spend with us, that we might, again, study to show ourselves approved. And as we leave you today, we would also leave you with an invitation to join us for worship in person. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Pastor Jessica Stand and Grace Bible Church of Hayward, please consider this a formal invitation to spend Sundays with us. 11 a.m. is the worship service, 10 a.m. if you would like to join us for Sunday school. And don't forget, Friday evenings at 8 p.m., we have enjoyed a marvelous time of studying God's Word with brothers and sisters in Christ from a variety of churches all over the Bay Area. That's at 8 p.m. Friday evenings. For directions and more information, simply stop by our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Or give us a call, 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're looking for a copy of today's program, you can either contact us by phone or mail. Send $5 and we'll get a CD out to you. Or stop by grace-bible.com and download the audio file for free. The address, if you're writing to us, is 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. 94541 is our zip code. And one final note as we conclude our time together today. We're able to come to you daily here on KFAX because of friendships and partnerships with people such as you who see the value of this ministry. Now, while it is free to listen to, for us, there is a cost, and we are a listener-supported ministry. No matter the size of your gift, it's greatly appreciated. So would you take a moment and pray about it and then contact us with your gift today? 510-886-9782 is our phone number, or write to us, 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.